What's up, you guys? Welcome to the first episode of the All Gas No Breaks Living with Physical Disability Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel McDade. I'm a 43-year-old software engineer living in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas, and I've lived my entire life with severe physical disability. But what do we mean when we use the terms physical disability? The CDC defines physical disability as any condition of the body that makes it more difficult for the person with the condition to do certain activities, such as interact with the world around them. This is certainly a fine definition, but it's obviously a very generic way to look at physical disability. If you will indulge me, I'd like to go through an exercise. Close your eyes. No, I'm serious. Close your eyes and tell me what thoughts pop into your head when you hear the words physical disability. Maybe you visualize a person in a wheelchair, or maybe you imagine someone using crutches to hobble around, or maybe you imagine a blind person using a walking stick or a seeing eye dog, or maybe you think about a deaf person having to communicate via sign language. Maybe you think of something as simple as a handicapped parking sign. All of these are reasonable responses to the exercise. But what if you don't view physical disability in terms of tangible things at all? It's possible you ascribe an emotional component to the words physical disability. Maybe you think of pain, or isolation, or suffering, or struggle, or perhaps you think of pity or sympathy. At the end of the day, all of these answers are correct, because there really are no wrong answers. Let me tell you what I personally think about when I hear the words physical disability. I think about perseverance. I think about determination. I think about overcoming the odds. I think about friends and family. I think about playing with the hand that you're dealt, even when it's painfully obvious that the deck was stacked against you before you even had a chance to sit at the table. I was born with a rare birth defect called arthrogryposis multiplex congenita. Arthrogryposis, AMC for short, is primarily a musculoskeletal syndrome, but can also affect the body's nervous system as well. It's a syndrome that is often grouped together with other similar conditions, such as cerebral palsy and muscular dystrophy. While AMC is often grouped with these other conditions, it is considerably more rare to interact with an adult living with AMC. Recent data shows an AMC diagnosis in one out of every 3,000 births. This may seem like a high number, but keep in mind, another CDC report showed that 46% of kids born with AMC died within the first year of birth due to severe nervous system complications. The nature and severity of the AMC diagnosis also varies greatly from person to person. The most common result of the birth defect is joint contractures in one or more areas of the body, usually resulting in limited or no movement at all of the joints affected. In many cases, the person will have weak or atrophied muscles. Many kids are born with club feet. There is also no cure for AMC. Kids born with it simply have to learn to live with it the best that they can. The primary treatment is physical and or occupational therapy, the goal being to simply improve strength and flexibility in the affected areas of the body. I'll now give a rundown of all of my own issues to provide a little context to the severity of my own personal disability. I have joint contractures at the knees, elbows, and wrists, 
preventing me from straightening out any of my legs, arms, or hands, respectively. I was born with a club foot. One of my ankles is set in a fixed position. My hip flexors did not form properly, which prevents me from laying flat on either my back or my stomach. I have severe scoliosis. I have limited use of most of fingers and toes. One of the only things about me that isn't affected is my brain, and those who know me well will even contend that that is debatable. Oh, and my mouth. Yeah, my mouth works really well, as you can tell. Probably a little too well. Hearing myself go through all of these issues, it almost feels like I'm bragging about my level of physical disability. It's like I'm preparing to enter some bizarro game show called Who's More Crippled? Only the winner of this contest gets a free wheelchair and a lifetime supply of adult diapers. The point of this rundown was to quote-unquote prove how disabled I am. I took zero pride in rattling off that laundry list of issues. As I said... The point is to provide some context, so the experiences I talk about during this and future episodes make sense. I'm a living, breathing example that being diagnosed as physically disabled is not some sort of automatic death sentence, even for someone as severely disabled as I am. Growing up, there really were no kids that I could look to and think they could possibly relate to what it was I was going through. There just weren't any kids, even in a huge city like Dallas, Texas, that were born with AMC. Ironically, one of the only other kids I ever met that had it also happens to be my own big sister, Tracy. That's right, we got a twofer in our family. She was also born with AMC. Her diagnosis is not as severe as mine, as her condition mostly affects her lower extremities, but I was still happy to have someone in my life that I knew could relate to my own challenges, even if on a smaller scale. Much of my early life was spent at Scottish Rite Hospital for children in downtown Dallas. I think we basically camped out at this place for about 10 years. Scottish Rite gave both me and my sister quality care during those early years. During this time, I had multiple surgeries to correct, or at least attempt to correct, both my club foot and my hip flexor issues. In addition to the medical care I received, I was also constantly in physical and occupational therapy. Multiple times, therapists would go on to tell my mom that I might not be able to eat solid foods due to the irregular way in which my jaw and trachea formed. They would also tell my mom it was unlikely I would be able to write on my own. Time out. Time out. For parents listening to this podcast, it should be obvious that you are the primary advocate for your disabled kid. Invariably, you will hear professionals make claims about what your child may or may not be able to do. While these folks are usually providing this counsel with due concern, presumably based on extensive education and training, their word is not gospel. If you hear these people offer up these expert opinions, I advise you to do your best to set those thoughts aside as a worst-case scenario only. Assume your child can do exactly what the professionals say they can't, and then make your child prove to you they can't over time. If my own mom had put any stock into what these people were telling her, I'd be sucking food through a stomach tube and dictating all of my well-crafted pen pal letters in my best Stephen Hawking voice. At this point, it should be pretty clear that my childhood was not typical. I could not really share in the same activities or experiences of my peers. Going outside to participate in any physical activity was obviously just not an option. 
That's not to say I didn't have friends. It's just that we could not engage in the same kind of activities when I was involved. I mostly stayed at the house to watch TV, play video and board games with family and friends. One of my biggest interests as a kid was sports. I can honestly say my interest in team sports brought me both the most happiness as well as the most heartache growing up. Participating in team sports was probably the only thing I truly felt cheated out of due to my physical disability. In the last few decades, there have been a large number of what I like to call fake participation moments. Every few months now, you'll see some viral video of a team halting its game to allow the token disabled kid to enter. The idea being to get the kid involved. Obviously, all of the other kids on both sides have been told to run some sort of fake or simulated action so the disabled kid can take part. I find this whole thing to be so cringeworthy. Uh, before I get any hate thrown my way for that opinion, I do realize some of these are coordinated for kids battling terminal illness. So I'm not saying all of these moments are without merit. Being that I was such a huge sports fan, that probably surprises most folks to hear. I'm just saying, if someone from the community had tried to coordinate something like this on my behalf, I would have not agreed even to do it. When I was growing up, I was trying not to stick out any more than I already did. The last thing I would have wanted was to be trotted out onto the field or court, like some sort of crippled show pony in a feel-good moment for all of the adults to pat themselves on the back about. No thanks. Truth be told, though, I was a happy kid. It's a good thing I was really low maintenance from a disposition standpoint, despite being such a hot mess, physically speaking. I can only imagine the difficulty in raising disabled kids when the child is short-tempered and or easily frustrated. My own parents were very lucky with me in this regard. I rolled with the punches easily. If there was something I tried repeatedly and was simply unable to do, I would just accept it, move forward. I've always been a little stubborn, but not to a fault. I've found this to be the single most beneficial trait going through life in my situation. You simply cannot sweat the small stuff. Life is already hard enough without adding to the burden by taking on undue stress over things which are unlikely to change. Like most children at the age of five, it was time for me to enter kindergarten. The principal of our local elementary school was insistent that I be placed in special ed classes. My mother was not having any of that. She had discussions with the men where she extolled my virtues on why I would not be placed in special ed. The principal pushed back. At some point, an impasse was reached. Some of the apprehension, I think, stemmed from the fact that the administration was concerned about the possible impact that I could have on the other students, as well as the teacher. It probably should not come as any real surprise, but it's a safe bet that none of these teachers had dealt with anyone quite like me. They were not really any different than the students in this regard. I'm sure the idea of taking in some severely physically disabled kid was an intimidating prospect. They were probably thinking, how am I going to handle teaching all the other kids, all the while making sure this little circus freak doesn't fall behind? I can understand their hesitation somewhat. I'm sure even my own mother wasn't completely sure how it would all work out. But that really wasn't the point, now was it? She wanted to make sure I was given every opportunity to fail, instead of just assuming that I would. In the end, 
my mom was forced to go over the principal's head and threaten legal action against the school district. The principal quickly caved, only one concession being made. A teacher's aide would be placed in my kindergarten class. The teacher's aide would primarily be responsible for helping me with any physical activity, like picking things up off the floor I dropped, or helping me cut construction paper during arts and crafts time. After all this initial drama, I started classes with the rest of my peers. As you probably guessed, everything went pretty smoothly. The administration might have been concerned about potential negative impact on the other students, but it turned out to be the exact opposite. As is usually the case, children show themselves to be far more capable of adapting than adults ever predict. After getting over the initial shock of having someone that looked like me in their class, many of these kids sought out opportunities to not only interact with me, but to stand in the place of the teacher's aide. It should be noted, I was always the type of kid that made it easy for other kids to interact. I was never a shy kid, and other kids were quickly drawn to me. If you wanted to be my friend, it was not a difficult task. Now, having said all of that, not all of the other kids were nice. I got made fun of plenty. I got pointed at, and I was constantly stared at. I quickly learned to ignore these other little cretins and focus on the kids who could get on my level. The Daniel experiment, as I call it, went so well that the requirement of a teacher's aide was lifted before I even started first grade. In the end, the administration realized the teacher just didn't need as much help with me as they thought, and when I did need help, other kids would quickly jump in to help. My mom later found out that this principal's own son had some type of intellectual disability and himself was in special ed. This last little nugget brings up an interesting talking point. How often do people with physical disability just automatically get viewed through the same lens as those with mental disability? I think an entire episode could be dedicated to just this discussion. I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, this is all great stuff, but what's this podcast actually going to be about? Surely this clown is not going to sit here and yammer about himself the whole podcast, right? That's a fair question. I chose to name this podcast All Gas, No Bricks. I've been in a motorized wheelchair since that first day of kindergarten when I was five years old. As such, I've probably been asked the question, how fast can you go? Somewhere in the range of 250,000 times during my life. As a youngster out looking to impress my female contemporaries, I often oblige this silly little question by starting out on one end of a school hallway and racing to the other end at what I thought was a breakneck pace. Admittedly, I was only going about five miles an hour, but in a hallway in a school around small children, this could seem really fast. When I was young, this was an awesome way to connect with the other kids. As I soon found out, it was also a way to get into trouble, because sometimes I would lose control of my wheelchair and almost run into other kids or faculty. Living life with physical disability can oftentimes feel like you have no control over what happens to you. Life is more happening to you instead of for you. In some cases, you may even feel like you've lost your bricks, so to speak. The subtitle of this podcast is Living with Physical Disability. I am physically disabled. This is an important distinction. There is a big difference between being physically disabled and being mentally disabled. How you interact with the world around you, how people look at you and treat you, can be very different. There is some overlap, 
I admit. But it's definitely a different ballgame when you're physically disabled. I really want to demystify the idea of physical disability. I know a lot of the experiences I talk about can seem very foreign to able-bodied individuals. I think we're a lot alike, and I'd like to explore these things as we go through the podcast. I'd also like to tell the stories, or untold stories, of people living with physical disability. If you or someone you know is doing extraordinary things while living with physical disability, I want to hear from you. Please reach out to me or the podcast to tell those stories. Well, we've come to the end of the first episode of the All Gas, No Breaks, Living with Physical Disability podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite apps. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast to help make it grow. Also, please connect to all of our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, this is Daniel McDade signing off. Keep the hammer down and never stop moving forward. Thanks for listening and have a great day.